Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. On this week's episode of Africa State of Mind, we sat with Business Connections' new Chief Digital Officer in South Africa, Rapilang Rabana. You will hear what makes her tick, how she was dragged into the IT industry by her brother, her views on African government's involvement in the ICT sector on the continent. Let's get into it. Repalang Ravana is an internationally lauded technology entrepreneur, CEO of Rekindle Learning. She was co-founder of Yego, of Yego, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, which, yes Yego. Absolutely. Yeah, which you started out of an apartment with your friends in Cape Town, which is amazing. And what I love the most about this story is that it basically came from basic student challenges of not having enough money for telecommunications. And I, I heard an interesting story around how you guys were basically send one SMS, one please call me if you're meeting at 5pm and then two yep. please call me if you're meeting at 6pm and this is basically how it is that you you know, you know, move forward with regards to co-founding Yego and what's also more interesting is the fact that this was actually started or you developed this on Windows like the old school Nokia pretty much. Yes, yes, yes. Horrible phones but you made, you made great stuff but also on more serious things, fast forward into today you're the CEO as we mentioned and co-founder of Rekindle Learning and you are you obviously hail from Botswana and you want to ensure that Africa does not get lost in the fourth industrial revolution you made Oprah magazine's O Power list you made Forbes 30 under 30 for the best entrepreneurs in Africa you were named one of the entrepreneurs of the world by the World Entrepreneur Forum and now Oh gosh, you are the incoming digital chief officer for BCX and you're our guest today on Africa State of Mind. Awesome, thank you. After that starts, I'm very happy to be here. How does it feel to um, hear like all of the stuff that you've done, especially because I heard that the way that you actually went into computer science was because your brother registered you, it wasn't even like a plan. No, it definitely wasn't a plan. I had basically no idea what to study. I would have liked to take a gap year and not do much, but alas, um, my parents wouldn't hear of that. So I asked, you know, what can I study? And I said, no, I can't, you know, it's your science, come up with something else. And that's what he came up with. And, and imagine, he, I'm sure he wants to get like a commission every single time you get a check. No, He's like, no, he did it quite maliciously, so there's definitely no commission. He was having a huge piss, so no. And now, um, as we, we mentioned in the intro, um, Yego was developed on a Windows phone. And, you know, from what I understand, you guys basically Googled your whole way into developing it, which is quite amazing. What did you learn in that process? And what do you think that young African women can learn in that process as well? The most powerful reflection for me every time I think back there is that we, we literally we just gather every day in that um, on the dining room table and sort of read and coach away and code away. Mm. Um, a lot of the time we were just doing research and we'd be on Google and finding sites and trying to gather information about what we're supposed to do. And this was in terms of the writing the code as well as writing the business plan and finding out what's happening in South Africa or the players in the telecoms market. Um, and we just believed that, you know, sitting in there, we could could get some of the information we needed um, and we read so so much and for me when young people talk a lot about wanting mentorship or what what and things I'm just like reading is the greatest form of mentorship that you will ever ever receive it's far more impactful than any hour anyone can give you um, and it's really accessible there's no limit on it it's all about your appetite for it um, and 
it's, I, I, very, I get very concerned when I see that young people are not reading enough about the industry they supposedly are passionate about. Mm, sure. That's quite powerful. I mean, just for you, you, I mean, I know that you had a fairly good kind of upbringing, you know, obviously coming from Botswana, where I'm actually convinced that in, in Africa, people from Botswana and Ghana are probably mm-hmm. amongst the most intelligent. Like, no, as, no, as a nation in Botswana and in, in Ghana, basically, like, this whole um, emphasis on education is such a big deal. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Oh, really? Wow, that's very good to hear. I didn't know that. Uh, uh, yeah, well, let's just, let's just <laughs> pretend it's true. But now, now, also, obviously, like, you know, like we discussed before with regards to people not really reading, you know, about the, the career path that they want to go into and the field that they want to go into or are involved in. Social media is like a huge thing at the moment from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter and everybody kind of has their noses in social media. But you found a way to kind of, you know, marry the fact that everybody's on their mobile phones and, you know, they, they're all about social media. They want to get short shorthand information and, and information that they can remember into a way to enhance learning within Africa yeah. and the world. Can we talk about that mm. a bit? Sure. So for me, the I believe that while mobile phones are popular now for your social media and sort of entertainment, I, I think that within the next decade, we'll see that um, learning and educational content will be one of the biggest drivers of data usage. Once we understand how to package the learning experience in a more compelling ways for mobile phones. Um, and we started doing that essentially by applying a concept of micro learning or learning in bite-sized chunks. So instead of trying to read a PowerPoint presentation or a PDF on your phone, how can you package it in a way that in five minutes when you're waiting for someone who's late for a meeting, you can actually engage in meaningful um, learning content that allows you to just start from where you left off and continue. Um, and there's not much thinking about it. You just answer some questions and you keep going. And the system is helping guide you to your weak areas automatically until you actually demonstrate that you've retained that um, content. And this could be whether you're trying to prepare for a compliance exam if you work in a bank or an insurance company or whether you're a sales rep and you need to learn the new products and promotions um, or whether you're a university student, you know, and trying to get through the material um, that you are allocated. And when we do that, I, when we do that, I think that micro-learning experience on mobile phones will become a lot more um, standard and accessible that, you know, you're, while you're tweeting, you're also doing a, a, a micro-learning course. Sure. Mm. And now just with regards to the content that is on the rekindle learning, like how, you know, because you've mentioned so many different things, like if you're, you know, a salesperson, if you're in university, whatever the case may be, what sort of content and Mm. subjects can be found there? Is it, you know what I mean? And how many, how do you get people to submit that sort of content information and subject information? So far, we haven't got a public or sort of consumer-facing solution as such, so we work specifically with either companies or tertiary institutions, so it's more privately accessed. And a lot of the time... um we work with their content. So with companies, for example, mm-hmm. that products and services will be proprietary. So we take those long PDF manuals and we repackage the content into these micro-learning steps. We are doing a lot more pre-packaged content. So from early next year, we'll be providing some of the um, some industry content that is relevant for people. For example, the, the phase RE5 examination preparation material that most people that are in financial services or providing any form of advice need to pass. And people are still struggling to get through 
some of those exams. We've now got very good results where we've seen significant improvements of people that studied using the micro-learning approach as opposed to just the face-to-faces at work, um, that they can use that to then prepare and pass the FSB exams. So we'll align and create more content around what is industry standard um, and we'll prepare more pre-packaged stuff. But a lot of the time, the most impactful content is really what is proprietary to the organization and making that more accessible. Sure, I really wish that I, you know, that this was around when I was studying because look, some you see your when we look at your resume and everything you've done, I should just mm-hmm. tell my dad, this is your real daughter, see? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I really love that. But also, um, you know, you've obviously had a lot of successes, you know, have you, you know, and which are, everybody mm. celebrates it. You go around the world, you speak, you've launched, you know, different applications and so forth. Are, have there ever been any moments where you've had failures that perhaps have not been, you know, people perhaps don't know about, you know what I mean, where you had to kind of get yourself out of a slum, so to speak? Sure. You know, this concept of failure, and I get the question all the time, I, I guess for me, I've concluded in my mind that failure happens if you stop. So for the, all the worst days that you can have, if you wake up tomorrow and you find another angle and you keep going, I guess in my mind I haven't preserved it in my memory as a failure. And they probably, and what I think were just horrific days, maybe people would have considered a point of failure. And in, even in introducing this concept of micro-learning, it's, only, it's been three years of trying to communicate those to, through TEDx talks, through mm-hmm. articles, through meeting companies. And finally now, companies that I first spoke to three years ago are only now saying, okay, come back, wow. let's talk again where we think we're ready for this sort of conversation. So I could have said, okay, it failed after the first year because there are not enough companies buying into it. And then I could have stopped and then maybe that would have been considered a failure. But in, in my mind, if you keep going and you find other angles and find other ways of how to package it and um, make the value proposition more robust, I guess in my mind, it's all about a series of moments, downs and ups and um, hard days and good days. And there's no definitive point in my mind of failure or a definitive point of success because the sun comes up tomorrow and you still got to do something. Definitely. And now just with regards to the fourth industrial revolution, if you could just explain what that is exactly and how it is that you... <laughs> no, look, I'm just going to keep... My, my thing is I keep it real, you know. <laughs> I, sure, my, sure. Yeah, my idea of the Industrial Revolution is the stuff that I learned in university and everything, which is, you know... <laughs> so, but, but, you know, and also more importantly, mm. how how wide the gap is between Africans and the rest of the, rest of the world where that is concerned. Sure. I mean, the fourth industrial revolution, some people will say sort of it doesn't really exist yet, but it's, it's really just a, a term that's trying to encapsulate the dramatic change that we're seeing in our world now. So we've got unprecedented access to information and internet speeds are dramatically improving. Our rate of consumption and generation of information and content has changed quite a lot. We're seeing the advent of um, very powerful new technologies, artificial intelligence and automation that will change people's job functions in future um, and force them to do other things that the computer is going to take over some of the more mundane or repetitive or analytical tasks. We're seeing cryptocurrencies and blockchain and the like that's going to compel industries to work smarter, whether it's using legal contracts or trading faster. I mean, NASDAQ has now just started using blockchain, I believe, mm-hmm. to ensure that trades clear in less than three days, which is kind of where it is, is, is now. So the fourth speed of change is really what I think um, the Industrial Revolution tries to capture. Um, and what's important is that 
for Africa now, um, all these cooler technology bits, this Internet of Things and all these things could help us to try and make digital technologies more inclusive. So with smarter technologies, we might be able to do more stuff in agricultural tech, for example, where we could be able to help farmers better monitor um, Mm. the environment and their produce and their machinery so that they can produce better. We could be able to, um, in healthcare, provide a lot more support um, in rural communities um, using smarter technologies. So I'm hoping that if we use um, the new technologies and things coming up, we can reach wider than we've been able to do so far and it can become more inclusive than right now where only you know the the top 15 percent of people have fast sort of 3g and that's the most predominant sort of form of benefit of the internet and we haven't found ways to make it more pervasive where it can be impactful in in, in more rural communities and more wider across the country um and it really depends on how well we can identify the right use cases and services um, for it to impact a wider population. Wow, that's amazing. And which countries are you seeing, you know, because you, mm-hmm. you're seeing wanting to get more involved in and finding out how they can ensure that they're, which countries within Africa, and you, you're mm-hmm. seeing that they are more involved in the governments are more like, okay, we need to make sure that our people do not get left behind, you know, um, as the world yeah. changes as at the speed that it is. The, the governments that are definitely leading the way are your Rwanda. Um, mm-hmm. Their presidency has been very categorically clear on the commitment to using technology um, and uh, that leadership from the top has definitely speeded up. Mm. A lot of um, overseas companies are setting up their initiatives in Rwanda. Mm. I think second to that is probably um, Kenya um, and they've always had a lot of um, ICT entrepreneurs. They have some challenges too but I think that the climate is very conducive there um, and I'm very keen on Nigeria as well, just because, yeah, there's the, the pool of talent in there is just extraordinary. Um, powerful, powerful entrepreneurs yeah. really have, have pushed through much, much harder circumstances than most African entrepreneurs. So when they succeed, it's because they're really extraordinary. Um, and they, yeah, there's, there's a lot of very cool stuff there. I know some company, for example, M Pharma has been completely changing how prescription um, medication and chronic medication is distributed across pharmacies in, in Nigeria mm. by providing um, systems that can better monitor the distribution of, of medicine so you can be able to better scan where everything is and be able to offer consumers a clear indication of where to source a product and at, at what price. Mm. And the reality is that that information actually hasn't been available. These big pharmaceuticals sort of drop the medication at the customs perhaps and where it is in the country and how you source it and how you preserve its quality and price has remained um, um, sort of a misnomer for quite some time. So for those kind of technologies, I see a lot of growth and we're seeing some really innovative stuff coming out of West Africa too. This might be a controversial question, but as you were mentioning, um, you know, Rwanda and Kenya and Nigeria, from, you know, from when I'm in those regions and everything, I find that either, specifically say in Kenya and stuff, the, the speed of the internet is a lot faster, you know? Mm. And, and then when in Nigeria, like everything kind of lives in the digital space more so than in South Africa, perhaps, you know what I mean? And it just seems like data costs a lot less and, and all of that. So how, how much of a role do you feel like political, so, I mean, I don't want to get you into the political mm. question, but I will, but how much yeah. of a role do you feel that politics plays in it? Because I'll, we'll use Nigeria 
as a case study you know um mm. obviously in nigeria because of the huge numbers of people you know a lot of things that you know in south africa people viewing um online content is not as much as what it is in nigeria in nigeria they've got like in dani tv they've got accelerate tv you know they've got red tv which is all online it's nigerian content they've got iroko all of that but in south africa mm. you won't find that as much and it's not actually expensive to view and to you know to consume online which is possibly why you know this all translates well in their in their kind of country we would translate well in nigeria but how much of a role do you feel that politics mm. plays with regards to this because surely um with each with each country it's about getting government to sign on it's about certain you know industries would now lose money or people who are kind of the gatekeepers of the industries would lose money and that sort of thing what are your thoughts around that and you know, I think government's most critical role is to facilitate the market. And by that, it's make sure that internet penetration is pervasive, make sure that there isn't prohibitory regulation to set up businesses, and make sure that in these new industries, your regulation isn't holding back new innovation. Outside of that, government needs to get out of the way because any further involvement is actually thwarting the speed of progress. Um, so I... I'm more in favor of a government that facilitates the ecosystem and then moves out of the way and not doesn't try to control sort of too much. Um, otherwise, you don't know which direction things are going. And when you try and regulate too early on too much, you are, you're killing a lot of um, the speed of the progress that could be happening. Um, so in many ways, more Afri- other African countries are increasingly uh, less regulated sort of than South Africa, yeah. which has made more innovations easier to scale and grow. We've seen that within Peza and Kenya and how Peza fails in South Africa yeah. and regulation is a big, big part of that. Um, so often I think yeah, the greenfield markets with less regulation are much sort of easier to sort of get going and started. Um, and as long as government doesn't stay in the facilitation of the ecosystem role and doesn't get in too much, then you don't thwart the growth. Now you're about to step in as the digital chief chief officer, sorry, of BCX. Like, do you, do, do, I, I need to ask this question. When you wake up in the morning, do you wake up like smart with like your superwoman like outfit on, like ready to go? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm actually nope. even like, in my mind, I'm like, where does she get the time and the, you know, and just the drive to keep on, you know, striving for more greatness and more greatness and breaking barriers? Like what drives you? I, I definitely don't wake up feeling like super woman in the morning. I'm just like, oh my god, I need to get to the shower and the gym and get to my email. Yeah, it's always it's always a rush there. I, I certainly have never woken up feeling like I've arrived or I'm successful. Strangely yeah. enough, so it's uh, yesterday's stuff is is yesterday's stuff, and then today's sort of a new day. And I think the things that have driven me um, is that you know I think. At some point, uh, towards the end of university, it, it dawned on me that um, statistically, I am already in the brackets. Given that I'm graduating from UCT and a commerce and science degree, I'm already statistically in the bracket that all you have to do is, you know, work hard and mean well, and you'll be financially okay, mm-hmm. um, and 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 you'll be fine. You you'll actually have a really good life. And I started to wonder, so what was the whole point of sort of the exercise if um, that was that is largely a guarantee? I mean, as long as you don't pick up a, a drug habit or something you're actually you're actually going to be fine yeah. so then i was like so then what's 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 the what's the bigger picture then um and that's when it became a lot more apparent to me that i needed to make a clearer choice as to what i want to contribute and what is going to be worth waking up for because 
I I know myself that if I'm not very clear on that, I I won't get up. I will stay in bed and watch TV, and I, I won't go out if I unless it was something meaningful. And I wasn't able during um, looking at jobs at the end of university to find something that would give me that meaning, which is why I was like, I can't do it because I know I'm going to get there and I'm going to be miserable and I'm not going to wake up, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be it's going to be a problem. Um, and starting entrepreneurial journey for me was to be able to decide how I spent my time and what I gave my attention to so I can do something that I believed was meaningful. Otherwise, I knew I would not be able to sort of get up. And building stuff, using technology to solve interesting problems um, in a way that ultimately moves the ticker on society's development forward seems to me the only thing sort of worthwhile getting up for. Otherwise, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't quite understand um, the point of spending 80 years making money so you can die. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I love that. And just like with regards to your family, because I know, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you quite, you know, I love the way that you described, you know, as long as you didn't get into drugs, you could have a fairly good life. But I mean, you know, how did your parents feel? Like you come from a family where they support entrepreneurs. Do you know what I mean? How did your parents feel, you know, for you to kind of like, go break a barrier to go try something to do it on your own coming out of you know coming out of um university how did your parents feel about that was it easy to convince them or um they they did struggle with it quite a bit i mean our parents were public servants and only really started their own businesses when they moved from Botswana to south africa Mm -hmm. um and then started playing i mean i I think my mom was she was more entrepreneurial while she was an engineer she was always sort of running side businesses Mm -hmm. and my dad sort of started a firm later so they'd kind of traveled both roads and when I graduated, they really did hope that I would go into a corporate first. I mean, I was a scholarship holder at one of the big four firms, so I was supposed to go there. Mm-hmm. But wow. I was quite clear that um, I, I I couldn't understand what I would be doing there after six months because I felt I would have learned everything that I, I kind of needed to learn. And it, I wouldn't be able to do choose how I spent my time and what I gave my attention to and choose something sort of more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I couldn't do that, I knew that I wouldn't be able to bring my whole self to the table and then things would sort of fall apart. Um, so, you know, in the conversations with my parents and they were obviously saying, you know, get a couple of years experience, you know, do something else. And it's a more stable route to the great organizations and all of these great offers. And I ultimately, you know, had a conversation with my dad where I asked him, can you guarantee me that if I go this route that I will be happy and successful? And he said, no, I can't guarantee you. Then I might as well, that's for me, it was like, then I might as well just try it on my own terms. Yeah. Wow. That's, that was that. That's a great way to ask you, to ask your parents to do what is it like you want to do, you know, because I think with, with African parents, all of us are always in a situation where it's like, do the old school way, you know, follow it this way, mm. do this path and mm. all of that. So I love that. Can sure. you guarantee that I'm going to be happy? Um, now, just before we, <laughs> just before we let you go, um, when you, for you, when it, when you think of the concept of Africa state of mind, what, what do you think of in terms of, of technology? Um, the African state of mind needs a lot of work for us to really be able to create te- technology solutions that impact um, our world. I think, and I've spoken quite a lot about this, is that what we're missing most in our capacity to be more innovative and to manifest our worldview into more innovative products